episode 162 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Oh, dark and brooding. I'm not just describing Jordan's voice, I'm describing the literal environment Jordan is recording this from. It's a dimly lit room, appropriately enough for some of what we're going to touch on. How are you doing this week, Jordan? I'm allergic to 30-watt bulbs. 30-watt bulbs, not 32-point losses? No. Okay. It's it's 30. That's okay. Do they make 32-watt bulbs? No, they do make 32-point losses, though. Oh, yeah, as evidenced by last night. Yeah, we'll move it on to that. This could have been a very, very optimistic episode filled with cheer and general optimism. Dare I say, even if they had kind of lost to the Mavs in some sort of, you know, oh, they lost by three points, really not great, but they were in that game. They didn't just capitulate against the worst team in the NBA at the moment. But that is, in fact, what happened when the Bucs visited Dallas on Saturday. They fell to pieces. The Mavericks tore them to shreds, but it didn't take much for the books to just fall off and let Dallas do pretty much whatever they want. The Mavs are a well-coached team. They have got some players who can get hot. I'd argue those players didn't even get all that hot for the most part, though. Basically, there's only a small number of things that you really have to worry and stop Dallas from doing. Books didn't get the memo on that and they allowed them to do all of it. So last seven days, three and one, I'm right in saying, am I? Four games in the week. Yeah. Well, going back a little bit further. So that the Lakers game was maybe a bit further back. So we'll say two and one the last week, beating Memphis 1103 on Monday night in the Bradley Center. The Pistons 99-95 on Wednesday night in the Bradley Center and then losing to Dallas. Of course, prior to that Memphis game, Bucks had also beaten the Spurs and the Lakers. They were on a four-game winning streak that I think very, you know, realistically, all Bucks fans would have expected to have reached five wins last night. But it wasn't to be. Here we are. Jordan, I know everyone listening is going to be thrilled to hear this. I know we're going to be so, so happy to talk about it. But I think that game just warrants a little bit more attention. 
I think we need to really get down into the reeds in that game and just kind of get to the root of what happened. Let's talk about the disaster in Dallas. Let's let's simplify it, right? If I'm to give you one thing to attribute that loss to, if you want to really simplify it, we can go with one word and we can jump in further from there. But what would you put that loss down to? Down to or to describe it? What would you attribute the loss to? The, the main factor that means the books that beat a good Detroit team in a hard-fought game on Wednesday then have two nights off, go to Dallas, and get blown out by the worst team in the NBA at the moment. Um, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, out of rhythm? I think that's made it It, it doesn't have to be one word, so out of rhythm works. You really think it was a rhythm uh, issue? Yeah, I, I didn't. I thought they looked pretty lackadaisical. I thought they were just, it was one of those going through the motions type games. And even Giannis in particular, I know he finished with like 24 and 17 and 30. But I thought his game was actually pretty bad, pretty brutal. He was, it, it, there's something going on with his jumper that is kind of worrying me that I think it's more of a mentality issue that we talk about with the foul troubles. But it was like, what are you doing? Like, even, I don't know, it was just a weird Giannis game. Like, you could, like, oh, like, oh, yeah, he's still a 24 and 17, but he just, it, you know, when you watch it, it was just not the game that we've, you know, been used to seeing from him this season. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a really awful game. <laughs> well, every time we talk about it before, every time they play the Mavericks, it's like this. I said it last week. I, I might have foreshadowed this a little bit by bringing up the memory of a game, which I mean, maybe me more so than you, although I don't think you forgot it, but it haunted me all throughout last season was the book's sole visit to Dallas last year. And yeah, I think it may take all of this year to get past this one. It just was so, so bad. I, Giannis was bad. I don't know. It wasn't just like those stats really flatter him. Something I think we gave him credit for in a recent episode of the podcast was, you know, he stopped with a lot of the frustration fouls that would have been a factor before. Oh, he had frustration fouls in this one and everything. Yeah, there were just times where he he was just basically buying the Mavs out of making tough decisions, of having to do things. It was just making things so easy for them. And it extends way beyond Giannis. Obviously, that was something yeah. the whole team did. Before we talk any further on it, I think it makes sense to hear from the man captaining this ship through these waters that can be very peaceful one moment, the next can be very, very choppy. I am, of course, talking about Jason Kidd. Let's take a listen to the entirety of Jason Kidd's post-game huddle and what he had to say to the assembled reporters in Dallas. Yeah, I thought uh, our offense dictated our defense, so we didn't make shots and then we didn't guard. Um, understanding coming into the to the game, we had talked about how they are second in the league in attempts. Uh, they just hadn't made them, and tonight they made up for all their misses. Um, they made a lot of threes, uh, and we didn't do a very good job on, on either end. And what was the issue on the offensive end? It seemed like there was never really any flow to anything. Yeah, I think the ball just stuck. Uh, the ball got sticky, and uh, we, we were afraid to let go of it to a teammate. It happens, uh, something that we can look 
on film and, and correct. Uh, knowing one of our strengths is, is passing the ball, and tonight we just didn't do that. When, when you're in a game like this, you need guys to kind of rally together and kind of put some put some together to kind of turn things around. Did you ever feel like you got any of that at any point? No, um, no, not at all. Uh, there was no rally at that. There was a chance there uh, in the second um, when it was down to 13. I think we got it down to 10, and then they went on an, another run after that. So. Um, no, it was just you know we we got we got you know this was one of our worst games, uh, but it happens and we got to learn from it. Do you take it that way? Was it in terms of the ball sticking? Was it more of the Mavs defense, or you guys just didn't have it tonight, or just a combination of both? I give them credit; uh, they enticed us to shoot some shots uh, that we talked about that you know they were going to give us, and we just didn't make them. Uh, no one made a shot tonight. Uh, no, I don't know if any. Uh, Chris might be the only one that was over 50%. Our bench was awful. Um, we, you know, we got to do better, and uh, we just didn't do it tonight. Yeah, what are the sort of things that you guys need to get back to on, on defense? You know, that you were doing well before, just tonight just didn't, didn't happen. It happens in this league. It's a marathon, and uh, you know, we didn't have uh, that spirit or the energy defensively. Uh, we're more focused on the offensive end of trying to get us individually back in the game, and that just doesn't work in this league. Okay, so the the first thing I want to go into from there, I think, is the thing that Jason Kidd may have said most often in that huddle, and that was, "It happens." Jordan, do thirty-two point losses to the team with the worst record in the NBA happen? I'm not I'm not meaning this to sound probably as sarcastic as it does, but really because I, I'm struggling to think of good teams, even bad teams going and losing in that sort of fashion to really, really bad teams? Uh, I, I would I would venture to say no. <laughs> Maybe not to that degree. Right, and I, I think a really great example of this, I think something that personally I feel makes it pretty difficult to come out and just say it happens, is the night before the Mavericks were up by 14 points over the Minnesota Timberwolves. At halftime, the Timberwolves, uh, third in the West, I believe, at the moment. Pretty good record. I'm, I think it might be 10 and 5. That's from memory, but could be wrong on that. But I'm pretty sure they're third in the West. They came back, they won the game pretty comfortably in the end. It was something like a 32 point turnaround in the second half. So I, I, there's something maybe you could say, okay, look, you can have a slow start. Like, we are more than used to seeing the books have slow starts from time to time. But when you have a certain amount of talent, when you've got a certain amount of things going for you, I think generally the the hope and the expectation is that you then reach a point where, you know, you find a way back into it. And that may be the most troubling thing is not just coming out as they came out. It's that you go in at halftime down 12 points. That's not a problem, really. That's not good. But the game is nowhere near beyond salvageable. You know, you can you can easily pull that back and win pretty comfortably. And yet they lost it even more in the second half. So it's kind of like, whereas you've got time to regroup, you've got time to stop and think, and there was no sign of a fight back. And Jason Kidd was asked about that as well, and he said, look, there was there was no rally from the players. I just find it difficult to wrap my head around that. And I think the thing for me, and I, I tweeted this after the game, 
you know, that's the sort of game where people are going to point to the defense or old holes in the defense because it's like it's like some sort of crutch that books fans have at this point. It's it's like some sort of comfort that they can go and say, oh, look, Dallas shot 19 to 38 from three-point range, lots of open trees. The problem is, you know, the defensive scheme. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the books were giving the maps too much space. And I don't mean on rotations. There weren't rotations. The ball wasn't swinging from corner to corner. The Mavs were moving it, but not like that. There were these instances where Chris Middleton certainly had one relatively late in the game. Yanis had a couple of them where they're just kind of facing up guys and they're not they're not active enough. They're not engaged enough. And they're standing a foot to a foot and a half further back than they can do. So then when the Dallas player takes a moment, sizes up the situation and says, oh, you know what, I've got space here, I can shoot. They were too far away to actually get in and, and properly close out and contest the shot. That isn't the defense. That is purely on motivation. That is purely on focus. And that brings up a lot of questions. I think it brings up questions on multiple fronts. One, obviously the coach and his staff. Personally, I find that more damning than any sort of holes that may be in a defensive scheme over the course of a season. It's when you just go and you, you, I mean, you lay an egg quite as bad as this one, and it's purely down to effort and focus. The Mavs played the night before, and we're in a tough game the night before. The Bucks hadn't played since Wednesday. It's like, you've got all the advantages of the world coming into this one, and they're not in the right place mentally, or they're not in the right place physically, and they just don't give the effort. They're, that's wrong, okay? That's just flat out wrong. That is on the coach. That is on his staff because they need to do a better job of reminding the players coming in. Remember what we did all last season. Remember all those times you guys coughed up games that we should have been winning, should have been winning easily. Well, if you want this season not to be a 42-40 and season, to be more of a 50-win season, this is the game where you've got to take care of it. These are the games where you've got to go and play. Remind them that they've done it and they can do it and what it took to do it at that time. We made quite a big deal of it when it happened this season because this sort of thing has been a recurring team for the books. That win on the road in Atlanta on a Sunday matinee game where they went and they just took care of business very professionally. Really good win. And that was a big deal because we're so unfamiliar with the books taking care of business in that kind of manner. That is on the coach and the coaching staff not to... Not to really drill that home to the players, to give the players any opportunity to go out and do that. Now, at this point, I'm going to shelve the section of the blame that belongs to the coaching staff because that's also down on the players. If you're Yanis, if you're Chris Middleton, if you're any player on the floor, you know how far away you should be from a shooter. You know that. You do it every day in practice. You've played how many games throughout your career at all levels you know when you're giving a guy one two feet too much space that if he decides he wants to shoot he can and yet they did it over and over and over again the books came into this one and it was i I wrote the preview for this game on saturday morning and it was just crystal clear like how this game was going to go so so clear that it's like you do these very simple things and you'll win because this is all the Mavs can do. The Mavs 
are dead last in the NBA in points of the paint. Dead last. They only had 28 points in the paint last night as opposed to 40 from the books. I believe that was even below their average. They don't score inside. They were second in the NBA behind only the Rockets in terms of three points, three pointers attempted. There were 33.3 three pointers attempted going into the game, only around 33% though, in terms of percentage. So they were going to shoot a lot of trees. They generally don't make them. How can you go into that game and then have moments where you go, oh, well, we just gave them a bit too much space? How is that possible? You know, that's the only way they can score. Close in really tight, make them go to the paint because they don't have the players or the personnel who want to do that. Dirk isn't looking to, to drive into the paint and finish through contact. Even a lot of their other guys aren't really. If they're not going to do that, just they're not going to score. It's that simple. And yet the books allowed them to do it. I want to read two more quotes that came from post-game. These are both uh, reported by Maflaskas at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Firstly, Chris Middleton. We settled sometimes we shouldn't have settled. Move the ball, attack the paint, get the best shots. Some of the shots we shot, I mean, we can make them, but we know we don't need to take them right away. We can get them later in the shot clock. Eric Bledsoe. They just outplayed us. It wasn't our defensive scheme or anything like that. That's it. They just outplayed us. How? How can you let that happen? Because it is something quantifiable. Individual players, you can have an off night. You know, you can just... Eric Bledsoe had like six points. Also, I think his performance probably looks a lot worse than it was because he got fouled a ton and just wasn't getting shooting fouls. It was just a weird stretch where, say, the Mavs fouled him four times in five minutes and they weren't in the penalty. He basically got the books right to the edge of the penalty and guess what? Even at that point, the Bucs didn't go really aggressively driving and trying to score inside and try to get to the line. But how would you just get outplayed? Why are you settling? Yana settled from early on. And I think this is what you alluded to. And maybe this is, a, this is influenced by all the outside noise surrounding him and surrounding his start where everyone, he knows everyone talks about his jump shot and his jump shot and his jump shot. Yanis can shoot. We've seen him make plenty of shots. He doesn't need to shoot to prove that. Just go and do what you do. And when you have to shoot, that's when you shoot. It's, you can't just abandon what he did. I can't think of a Yanis dunk from last night. I don't, I don't think there was... There certainly weren't any of any real significance in the Dallas game. That means you're not really playing to your strengths. Like, is there, is there any excuse for a whole team to be able to say they outplayed us? I mean, we're talking eight guys who played meaningful minutes before the garbage time crew came in. Like, one or two, sure, guys have off nights. We've seen it, and that will happen, and you can excuse that. But I don't know I don't know if you even noticed that I I tweeted out about it. Um, I actually co-tweeted from the Behind the Pass account. It was a tweet from Eric Neem of Lockdown Books and ESPN Milwaukee, where he noted it. The sequence where Yanis was completely on another planet on defense. And Chris was really angry at him after it. Just like, what are you doing? He just forgot that he was guarding Dirk. Just literally started walking around guarding no one. And you're like, how does that happen? This is a they were a well-rested team coming in on a four-game winning streak. You should be just so mentally prepared for this. Should be so kind of fit and fresh. And they can say all they want about, you know, we want to be. A really good team you can do all this talk on media day eastern conference finals we want to be like a 50 win team this is who we want to be 
you have to go out and prove that when you're going to play a terrible team and you've won four straight because four straight isn't good enough if you want to be that team. You've got to keep rolling off wins. I'm baffled. As you can guess, Jordan, I've gone on for quite a bit on that, but I found it very, very, very irritating. And it was just, it was a waste of everyone's time. They wasted their own time in being there. They certainly wasted every Bucks fan's time who tuned in to watch that. And then I think Jason Kidd completely wasted all of our time, not for the first time, and coming out and just going, you know, that was one of our worst games, but it happens. It doesn't happen. Give me examples. If it happens, you're not a good team. So, like, make your mind up here. What are you? Are you a good team, a, a team that's going to go and contend, a team that you deserve to keep your job with? Are you a team where this happens? Because if you're a team where this happens, a team where this is going to happen, you know, again in the near future, major changes need to be made. Yeah. I <laughs> agree with everything about that. I mean, it, it was a collective failure on the night. It was just, it was a dreadful performance. Even we could talk about the whole Buck stigma. It's like, oh, like this, this, you know, inf- inferiority complex that every Bucks fan has, but like, it's just awful. And some of the things, like, I, I don't know. There's Yana specifically, I know we were talking about MVP talk and it was, you know, crazy to talk about but there has been i felt like there has been a kind of maybe it's with bledsoe coming in maybe it's with you know everything that he's had to deal with off the courts and just you know the the fact that his star is rising so much so there's even more talks around him but i felt like the first week or you know first week and a half we haven't seen that that kind of dominant Giannis or um i guess I don't know. I don't know. Like every time, like I feel like the last couple of games, even with the wins, like say the Pistons game or maybe not the Grizzlies game because it was actually a good game, but like even the Lakers game, you're like, oh yeah, like I didn't think he played that well, but he had 33 and 15 and all this stuff. But it it just feels like there is. Yeah, I agree. We knew that that pace. I I that pace wasn't going to keep up. Yeah, but I also think with him, right, and I it's so easy to forget because this feels a long time ago for us and we've had to move on from it because the season starts and everything. His father died like five weeks ago. Yep. And I mean, he is a human being as much as he often makes us think he may not be with his basketball. Like as much as adrenaline, the focus of the season being right there, about to start everything may have gotten them true as it started. Like, there, I can criticize Yanis for that bizarre lapse in concentration and focus he had, but then he has a lot going on, not not even just to do with the rising star element, the constant interviews, everything else he's having to deal with. He has a lot of stuff going on within his own family, and he's normal. I've got to allow that, and I think the, the one great thing you could say about Yanis is if he has 24 points and 17 rebounds on his off night, you can't blame him. You know, I mean, you can say it's not his best game. He, he certainly didn't help you win. He wasn't moving you closer to winning, but he still gave quite a lot. You know, he's doing yeah. his share where other guys have to step up and help out. Like, But probably... I also think at the same time, though, it's a follow your lead kind of thing. We I know there's been some chatter about, like, you know, raising the level. We've seen role players raise up to level because, you know, you fall by example of, you know, with obviously your star's lead, which would be Giannis. Often I like that, like, or even obviously Chris Middleton's on a lower tier than that. 
So if you have a Giannis game like that, I think, I don't know, this is, it, <laughs> it's all cliche stuff, but I think it just kind of trickles down with what, the kind of effort and the mistakes keep piling up as we saw last night, where, as you noted defensively, it wasn't the fact about the fact about sch- schematically or anything, every, <laughs> everything that we clutched to about those problems on that end, it's about the effort. And I know that it, that's, that annoys people that scheme because, you know, it's it seems like a cop up, but it's true. That's defense. You have to be locked in on that end, no matter what. And we've seen there are d- definite differences when they aren't locked in, as we saw last night. Right, it's and just plain- I I don't have a problem. I've seen a lot. I saw a lot of that last night before kids spoke, where people were going, "He's going to come out and he's going to say effort, effort, effort." That's not coaching. It's like, well, that was what happened last night. That was true. It irritates me much more when he says. You know, our shots weren't falling and that fed into our defense. Why? I mean, win the game 68 65 if you have to. No one cares. It's like your competitors go out there and win. It's not, those two things shouldn't be related. Like, I get what you're saying in terms of leading by example. Chris had 23 points on 9 or 12 shooting last night as well. So, I mean, from Yanis and Chris, you had a combined 47 points on. 16 of 32 so between the two of them 50 percent shooting 47 points pretty good now he didn't have his assists but it's hard to have assists from the team as a whole had 13 assists something i just kind of noticed in an in that game um and maybe it was more apparent on this occasion than any other if on defense you have a philosophy which is no fastballs right and the whole idea is stopping your opponent from getting these passes slinging around the court landing in shooters pockets you know just ready to catch and shoot making optimum opportunities what would that make you do on offense what would you be looking to do as often as possible offensively if that was your defensive plan throw fastballs if the thing you're trying to stop on defense because you feel that optimizes you know that's gonna limit your opponent as much as possible offensively you come down the other end of the floor surely the thing if if fastballs are that important and they're that deadly that you're building your scheme around it you're gonna find guys in the corner and when when there were guys in the corner against the maps the passes were being floated out to them and you were seeing the effect of what the books are trying to create on defense which was by the time the ball got to the shooter he had a man they're ready to challenge. Like, get your passes moving. 13 assists is awful. But it's not representative of who the books generally are, and I think that's the bigger issue. The Mavs didn't shut them down. They didn't have to do a whole lot. And yet, that's what we come out with. Also worth noting, I mean, we've complained about them not getting to the line, and Jason Kidd has complained about free throw disparity. They shot 31 free throws, only made 17 of them. So they attempted 12 free throws more than the Mavs. They only made one more. You know, that's that's your game right there. You know, that's being close enough at points in the second, uh, second half, third quarter, we'll say, to really make a run if you make your free throws. Part of that was the hack at Henson. He's been shooting free throws okay throughout the season. Three of 10 was not really all that okay. Giannis missed four free throws as well. You've just they've just gotta be better. And it's it's like when it's something like that, you know, you can have a bad game. 
they could try really, really hard. And we've seen them try really hard. We've seen them do it recently. Not play all that well offensively. Your shots don't go down. But they just lock in and they find a way to make it as difficult as possible for their opponents. This was the opposite. This was as easy as can be. You know the Mavs are going to do one thing, one thing only, and that's let fly from deep. What did they do? They gave them the space to shoot from deep. Chase them off the three-point line. If I'm in the locker room at halftime, I'm like, okay, this is as simple as it is. We're not playing well. Focus fundamentally on just moving the ball, trying to get sound offense, looking for good shots rather than looking for shots. On defense, chase them off the three-point line. If you're going to give up a look at the rim, let's give up a look at the rim and let's see if they want to go and take it. But, you know, three is better than two, Jordan. I don't know if you know that. The NBA has certainly began to understand that, stand that overall. And the Bucs didn't do anything to stop the tree, which is the only weapon the Mavs are ever going to have to beat them. Even if the Bucs played well, you know, if you give them that space, that was going to be a tough one to win because they would let fly. But when that's their only weapon, don't give them the space. That's probably the reason why they're attempting a ton of trees and not making them. It hasn't just been, you know, oh, they're unlucky. Shots haven't been falling. They don't want to score in the paint. So if they don't want to score in the paint, don't let them shoot easy trees. Job done. You go away with the win. Moving on from the game in Dallas. But sticking on a similar subject overall. Playing down to opponents was a major, major issue last year. I mentioned in that section on the Mavs that earlier in the year when they went to Atlanta beat the Hawks in a professional manner. That was almost a surprise to us. We're not used to it. Playing down to opponents was the thing that we put prior to the year when we kind of made our own predictions and discussed, you know, what what makes our breaks this season? I remember us getting a mailbag question at one point of, is it more important to beat the big teams to get to 50 wins or, or the little teams, the teams you should beat? And our answer was unequivocally from both of us, beat the teams you're supposed to beat. That's what good teams do. So you can afford to lose to all of your main rivals in the regular season. It's the playoff where, it's where that matters. Beat the teams you're supposed to beat because there's going to be enough of them. If you're a good team, I mean, if you're a top four team in your conference, that means there's 11 teams behind you that you're playing three to four times. You should be beat. Yeah. That's without going to the other conference. Oversimplifying it, but the point essentially stands that that's where you pick up your wins. Everything else is a bonus. And so if you start beating all the, the more difficult teams as well, that's when you're a 60-win team. It's just taking care of these games. The Bucs can't do it. Having had this game against the Mavs, in many ways, I think that the timing is as bad as it can possibly be because they're going to have to come up with lots of come up against lots of teams and lots of games that are going to be pretty similar to what they saw against the Mavs. It's going to have that same feel. It's going to be a test of, well, can you just come here and take care of business? And their schedule is giving a spell which should, in theory, be an easy run. But the books are proving the easiest things can be the most difficult for them. So to look even just this week, Okay, they return home. They play the Wizards on Monday. That's a game you know they're going to be there for. They're going to give a reaction to the Mavs game. They're playing an Eastern Conference rival, a really good team, and they're at home. The Bucs will be active. They'll be engaged. If they lose, it won't be for a lack of trying. 
they probably won't even lose. Is it John Wall? Uh, I don't know if he's out. He's definitely he he's missing the Sunday game for the Wizards. So if he's back, I mean he he can't be all that fresh. He'd be a doubt anyway. He'd be doubtful yeah. heading into Monday. Phoenix Suns up next on Wednesday on the road. It's a game you should be winning. Game should be winning comfortably. Follow that up. Rudy Gobert's Utah Jazz Saturday on the road. Into the following week, the Kings on the road. Trailblazers on the road. Okay, that's a tougher game on NBA TV as well. We'll probably see the real books for that guaranteed. That kind of spell, though. Phoenix, Utah, Sacramento. Particularly without Rudy Gobert. There are three road games, but they're nowhere near back-to-backs. You've got Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Lots of time to rest. They should be winning all three of those games. When you look at the players they've got, when you look at generally how they play, like I'm not sure if people realize this, how fundamentally sound the books are in a lot of ways, because it's it's easy to kind of overlook when we're on the coaching elements and particularly with the defense so often. They're a top 10 team in assists, sixth in assists, seventh in turnovers. So good assist team who don't turn it over. I mean, you're on the basics of a sound fundamental offense. So good assists, don't turn it over. Fourth best in the NBA in terms of field goal percentage. Dropping, but still seventh best in terms of three-point percentage. Look at other kind of key factors, things you might point to and say, okay, well, that's a test of, you know, where their effort is. They give up the least fast break points per game in the NBA. 6.1 fast break points per game is all opponents get against the books. They are a top top 10 or 7th in points in the paint, just outside the top 10 in fast break points and improving since the Bledsoe trade. There are a lot of key areas where you go, okay, if you're if you're ranking where the books are, you're doing a lot of things right, and it's kind of where those performances then come from. Would you worry about those three games and games like them that we see repeat performances of this, though? I think feeding back to some of what we talked about earlier, it's, you know, if we're going to see repeat performances of this, well, then there's a much bigger problem and a problem that probably needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> this. It's rearing its ugly head back again this season. And obviously with last night, having gone the way it did, uh, it's not a night, uh, not so nice reminder that we have to still deal with this kind of thing. But um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. It, it's there's nothing else more than you could say about like just you can't have that kind of collective failure of a night where just <laughs> just truly awful. Um, and even if it was, even if they play up or play better against lesser teams like the Kings. And obviously some of the teams that they're going to play, like the Kings are, you know, a couple nights away from losing 46 points. So having a terrible, terrible game uh, in recent memory too. So. Hey, the books just lost know, by 32 points. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, I don't know. It just feels like weird built in adversity that they're or manufactured adversity where they have to like, uh, we can't have that again. You know, I, I don't know. It's just weird to. 
I this is I, this is the I low guess. point of the season for me so far by a long way. I know a lot of people got really angry, and I mean, it is clearly a period of of discontent, not just among the fan base, possibly within the books. Let's not forget they traded for Eric Bledsoe around this time. But that four game losing streak, like if you look back at that now, remember how bad that Thunder game was? Can yeah. you remember by how many points the Thunder won that game? I think it was eighteen, nineteen. 19. Compare that to losing by 32 to the Mavericks. Like, they lost by 19 to the Thunder, 5 points to the Hornets, 9 points to the Pistons, 5 points to the Cavaliers. And it was like, the sky is falling. That that doesn't bother me. Those things can happen and will happen throughout the, the course of a season. That, to me, is that it happens, you know? A bad run can happen. You're playing teams that are pretty solid, pretty good teams. But it's when you get beaten like they are. Like you mentioned the 46 points for the Kings last play. 32 to 46 isn't that many. No. And look at the Kings and what the Kings are in terms of what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve, and look at what the books are. Like this is a team that could have three All Stars, could have a six man of the year contender, an MVP contender. It's like, really? 32 points to the Dallas Mavericks. And I would be concerned about some of those games because the Suns have clearly got something going. They've got their own issues still, as in they're just not very good. And yeah. I don't know if you saw Greg Monroe's comments after his first game there. I, he's having a bit of a culture shock because uh, I think nights like that Dallas game that we're kind of reflecting on right now they're more common in phoenix and greg monroe isn't quite used to that he was surprised that just the lack of defense his, his teammates are even trying to play they've been playing better though that's not an easy game the jazz the jazz are well coached the jazz will come and compete every night they are a next man up personified because they've had to be for a couple of years they will play some pretty fundamentally sound basketball and they will do the thing that the book should have done on Saturday in Dallas. And that is, oh, things aren't really working for us offensively. That's fine. We're just going to grind the ball into the floor and we're going to win this by whatever low score we have to win it by. And that's, if you're a winning team, that's what you do. It's not like shots off. Shots off. It's, you know, my shot isn't working, so I'm not going to defend either. Let's write this one off. It's like, okay, I'm not scoring points tonight. The only way I can win is by making sure my opponent scores less points. That is how it works. They're competitors. That's how it should be. Didn't happen that way. I'm, you know, it's it's one of these stretches where the books are going to have to prove something again. I'm buying into a bounce back in terms of the Wizards game. But it's whether they learned their lessons. Whether this was the one and only time they needed to feel this this year. To make sure it never happens again. And I don't know what way you look to prevent this because the players in the locker room have now had multiple years of this experience where this happens. Jason Kidd, as a coach, has been coaching a team that has had this happen for multiple years. You bring Eric Bledsoe in as one of your best players, one of your key personalities in your locker room. Well, in regard to preventing losses like this, bad news, he has been on the Phoenix Suns for the last number of years. 
he has plenty of experience of these nights where it's just like quitting just quitting someone needs to become the guy in that locker room player coach that stands up and is like yeah we're just not doing that we're just not doing that are we a good team or not let's go prove it let's all play to the best of our ability on any given night it's not about playing to the best of your ability every night it's impossible and maybe there's just too much of that within the books because you know when we talk about the defense is built on that it's built on on the best possible night our defense is unstoppable you won't score on the perfect night our defense won't score the nba has played across 82 imperfect nights <laughs> it's it's just about getting the best you can on any given night and doing what you can to make sure it's better than what your opponent brings and is this a case that the books are looking for the perfect win so as they go to dallas and you know if they go up 15 points already on they're like oh this is great we're doing what we're supposed to let's kick on let's win by 25 and we go wow look at that look at the maturity and then if it doesn't go that way it's just like oh well you know it's not the perfect win so we just won't win i don't know there's there's some sort of very strange line that's kind of if not running through various different elements of their play it's just there lurking menacingly in the background let's move it on jordan i want to talk about John Henson, not in too much detail. I mean, he didn't have the best night himself against the Dallas Mavericks, but we have seen significant improvement from John Henson this season. He's played very well. Jason Kidd has regularly kind of applauded the effort, the consistency of play he's seen from John Henson, not just in games, but on the practice court as well. And you wrote about this earlier in the week. What I want to talk about in regard to Henson is let's dare to dream here and do the thing that all books fans generally stop themselves from doing, which is let's pretend that this is going to be John Henson from now until the end of time. You're going to get a really, well, the end of time might be pushing. I don't know if 55 year old <laughs> John Henson could do this. Till the end of his career, if you could get consistent effort consistent production from john henson every night he's not going to be the best player in the league and you are near the best player in your team but you know what you're getting and he's reliable which has been probably his achilles heel is that he can just have mega productive games and he can disappear completely out of the rotation let's say much like the bucks against lesser competition (laughs) i mean he is the longest tenured player so i mean if you're around that for a long time what's gonna happen seeps into your system really there might, there might be something to that we're joking but there might be something to that if you can keep that up what is what is the best case for john henson and what's the best case for the books because although he's a very very important player if he can play at that level regularly is he enough still i'm just trying to figure out and think of even when we're seeing good things from john henson what does that mean? Like, what is the end goal of seeing good things? Or are we just so happy that we're seeing good things rather than him being a DMP on a really expensive contract? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. It's It was kind of strange because I think a lot of his performances this season, when they are really good or, you know, tip-top shape, it kind of seems like he's like there was this anecdote about like the Pistons, like the 
kind of what not big three, but like the Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace. Uh, I know I'm missing other people, but like that Pistons era, they were talking about like getting Ben Wallace going offensively on like the first couple of possessions, so he can really lock in and it kind of you know sets the tone for them. And I feel like the Bucks were kind of doing that with Henson, and when he would have good games, like the Lakers game, he had like the first I think like eight points or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe six, like somewhere around there, and then it kind of fueled the rest of the game where he had a really good game. And I feel like the same thing went for the Grizzlies game. And I feel like there's a, a a recurring pattern of kind of get him going to kind of you know start the game off, and it kind of flows through everything else he does. Where you know he's blocking shots, he's really active on the glass. I mean that's been the case the whole season, uh, more so than ever really with him. But you can kind of see a a different how he just holds himself on the court. There's a different kind of effort and energy level, and just I mean, he'll have the occasional lapses where he has like weird turnovers that are <laughs> synonymous with John Henson and doing all these things like you know offensive interference every once in a while, but or basket interference, I should say. Um, That's right. I was about but, to ask. I was like, when does John Henson start playing football? Yeah. <laughs> He could be a tight end, uh, but uh, I don't know. I just feel like when there, it, I don't know. There's like this pattern of just seeing him kind of lock in mentally, and it just goes through the rest of the game. Does it what he could be? I guess throughout the season, I don't know. That's a weird question. I mean, we kind of kind of look at a Tyson Chandler light, but he's not. I mean, he's not the kind of enforcer that Tyson Chandler was and is still even you know as he's declining um even though he will occasionally look down at aaron brooks and <laughs> make make some uh uh you know kerfuffles and earn but, himself a 44 million contract from looking down at aaron brooks exactly that's that's when the the check was written um i don't know that's that's an interesting question it, it's one of those things where <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know why this came to mind recently but I was just thinking about like, oh, so they got Eric Bledsoe. That was like a huge need that they have left. Like, what is the only thing left that they need to address? And I'm like, oh, they're gonna draft a big man. <laughs> I know they're gonna draft a big man. <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, we're we're back here again. We spent so many years just hoping they draft a point guard. They never did it, and we're still there going. They're gonna draft big men. I, I think the interesting thing with that though is that it all comes back to. I think at least we knew what the books needed out of a point guard for all of that time when they didn't have that point guard. Yeah. You know, maybe we were, maybe a change, maybe we were wrong. There was a long time where I know both you and I felt they did need a player in the match of the Dover mold. And that was based more on the time when Yanis really was playing as a point forward. When that's not the case, they needed more. Malcolm Brogdon gave some of it, but there was still that question about, you know, a more dynamic ball handler, someone who'll attack just a little bit more often. Bledsoe arrives and everyone goes, yeah, that was what they were missing. Everyone's been able to see that. I don't think we know what the Bucks need at center. I mean, rebounding would be maybe the one thing because I run through all those stats, how they fare well and assists, turnover, field goal percentage, three-point percentage. All these kind of just very basic stats. We're not talking about advanced numbers by any means. These are basic key components, though, if you want to be a good team. The one area where they'd really fall short there is rebounding. So you could say, yeah, if they could get a really strong dominant rebounder, that might matter more than anything else. But 
I mean, that's not what they've got, and they've looked for different things up until now. Ton is not that guy. And what Ton offers in terms of his shooting and everything, yeah, very nice to have and could be very, very useful. But even a reliable, hot-shooting Ton from distance, who also protects the rim, valuable in a lot of ways to the books, but you're still going to get found out on the boards. I think John Henson is kind of the same, even though he's had some okay rebounding games recently. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I think as they continue to look for the answer at center, I think the one thing that we haven't seen, we'll say, in the Jason Kidd era, anyway, in Milwaukee, is a true rebounder. And that might be the thing that having someone like that really changes it. But I, I think it's interesting, just as Henson has improved, to kind of go, okay, well, even if this is what he does... Is that enough? Is that what they're looking for? I, I don't think we really know because maybe there are types of centers we haven't seen yet in Milwaukee and it's something that who knows they may well explore in the near future. Yeah. Jordan, after all of that gloom, I mean, we're on nearly 50 minutes of gloom at this point. People need to cheer up a little bit. People need to get on to what really, really matters. Sure, the Bucks lost by 32 points in Dallas. But how did this week turn out in terms of Jack Bowers? We're both professionals. You know that I can force this information out of you, but I'm running out of time. Jordan, where do we stand? How many 24-second violations have the Bucks forced for the season to date? 17. We're at a 93 Jack Bauer pace. They need to up it, like certain other things. But if not for Wes Matthews and I believe JJ Perea, that would have been 19, but they had to hit buzzer beating or shot clock buzzer beating threes last night to avoid the Jack Bauer stamp. Yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah. There was no drum roll this week, so no suspense unusual for you, Jordan. Anyway, let's move it on. Let's look ahead look a little bit closer at this week's upcoming schedule we've already mentioned the games involved now is the time though where jordan and i will have to make our predictions monday night first and foremost the books host the washington wizards as you noted john wall he'll certainly be questionable heading into monday in terms of whether he'll play maybe he has even been a ruled out i don't know by the time this post that could be possible what is your feeling for a game with the wizards first time this season the books and the wizards play talk about a team that uh falls to lesser competition i feel like the wizards and bucks are in that kind of same boat um i do think john wall will end up missing the game i'm just this is a prediction call me miss cleo if you'd like it's in the ceiling Yes, it's in the tea leaves. Uh, I'm going to go Bucks by nine. Nine is a good number because it's not so many that the Wizards are likely to get offended. You know, that's that's important. The last thing we want is the Wizards to get upset at just what way the Bucks are beating them. The Wizards are that team, though. They're playing a conference rival. I mean, they may think the Bucks are a good team. I'm not sure if the Bucks have decided on that themselves yet but against the kind of a marquee player in the Eastern Conference and the team that they could well face in the playoffs. 
I think the Wizards will come and really put it up to the books, regardless of whether John Wall's there or not. Now, obviously, that isn't insignificant. John Wall not being there completely changes the complexion of this game. Makes the prediction thing pretty difficult. I'm going to go books win, but I'll go tighter. I'm going to go books by five. Mm. And that would, I'd stick with that if John Wall was there. If he's not, maybe they'd go bigger. But I'm going to play it safe and go books by five because, you know, not all of us want their point differential to end up the way Jordan's goes. Following on from the Wizards game, books will have a day off on Tuesday before hitting the road on Wednesday. After the Wizards game, it'll be almost two weeks before the books are back at the Bradley Center. So, again, they're going out on the road for a stretch. Not only are they going out on the road, they are going out west. Phoenix Suns, all of the storylines. Eric Bledsoe's return. Potential Greg Monroe revenge game. What's your feeling? Brennan Knight returns with uh, action. Yeah, come on. Come um, on. God, this game. Now, I'm, every prediction against like a, a oh bad team. God. You're gonna you're gonna be doubting yourself. Stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna go bucks by seven. <laughs> I'm gonna go bucks by twelve, and they might lose by thirty-two again. But all I can do in trying to predict is say, bucks should bucks should beat that team, and now it's up to them to go and do it. Well, we'll see how that one goes. Saturday, so Wednesday, Saturday. Not so kind to the books this week. Can it be more kind next week? Salt Lake City at altitude, Utah Jazz. It's interesting. This road trip is pretty well spaced out. I wonder, will they come home for parts of it? Probably not enough time for that to be practical. They could potentially after the Phoenix game, but they may be better off going to Salt Lake City early and getting used to the altitude. Not quite Check out Breckenridge for a little bit. Again, the slopes. Right. Not quite Denver, but is a factor. It's one of the highest altitude spots you're going to play throughout the year. What's your prediction for the Jazz game? Jazz are, as of recording, they are coming off a 40-point victory over the Orlando Magic, who are fading fast. But this is a Bucks podcast. Um, this may be an Ekpe Yudo revenge game. Maybe. And also the Bucks. I feel like... Utah gets under the Bucks' skin. I can't remember the last time the Bucks have beaten them. Maybe a couple years now. I'm going to go Jazz by 11. Well coached, play hard, fundamentally sound, Jazz by 14. <laughs> the three check marks of a Bucks yeah, loss. It's that simple. I mean, there, there's a lot of the areas where you'd point to the Bucks are going to struggle. The Jazz are good at defense. You know, it's like... The Jazz will cover over those things. I, I think the Jazz win. Okay, so that is it for us for this occasion. We'll be back to you as usual on Friday where we will talk about the best team under the umbrella of Milwaukee Bucks basketball teams. The team to believe in. That is, of course, the Wisconsin Herd as we record this and as you listen to it unless you're really late in the week which if that's the case shame on you the five and one four and one five and one i was right shouldn't i doubt it myself the five and one wisconsin herd how about that
tied with the South Bay Lakers and the Lakeland Magic for the best record in the whole G League. Imagine if the Bucks were tied at oh, best record in the whole NBA. Who knows when that even last happened? Opening night, I would guess, was probably the yes. answer. <laughs> Own the future. Own the future. That's Jordan's. Yep. Jordan told me earlier he's no longer going to tweet about the Bucks. To be honest, at some point, this may just become a Wisconsin Herd podcast because... It's much more re- re- alleviating. Or, or, I don't easier know for all of us. They even have this thing, you don't have to get attached to players. At the moment, it's quite jarring. <laughs> but over time, just the dispensable nature of players is probably quite nice. It's just like, oh, he'd a bad game. Well, he'd be gone in two days. <laughs> you got... <laughs> Literally, it's like... That Simpsons episode. Where... If you're starting to watch the Herd... Do yourself a favor. Don't start to like any of the players. If they're really good, they're gone. If they're really bad, Except Sterling they're Brown gone. Yeah, okay. Sterling Brown, you can like him. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about Sterling Brown and all the other Herd stuff on Friday. We'll be back again on the following Monday. Usual slots, unless the books do anything to make us come back sooner. In the meantime, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, favorite us on TuneIn Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Winning6Podcast, me and Jordan individually at AdamMcGee11, at Jordan Tresky, and the website where we write, where we edit, at Behind the Books. All of mine and Jordan's books writing, as well as everyone on site, can be found every single day of the year, BehindTheBookPass.com. In the meantime, until the next time, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.